All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 107. We're going to be talking about British college football. My name is Bob Akhairi. We're going to be joined by my guests, Tom Snee and Sean Endicott. Some of you may know we like to vary the topics we talk about, not just FBS football, not only at different levels in the United States, but international as well. We've had conversations about college football in Canada, in Japan, and now we're going to talk about what goes on in the United Kingdom. Hey, Tom, have you been able to make it up? Good evening or afternoon to uh, most of you guys who are listening in the States. Uh, yeah, great to, uh, thanks for the invite and uh, looking forward to chatting UK college football. Excellent. All right. Well, hopefully Sean will be up here in a moment. Let's see here. So Tom has been involved in football in the United Kingdom for more than 15 years. He started playing at the University of Huddersfield, where he remains the program's all-time leading wide receiver. He's played four different teams in the National League before retiring at 26. Since then, he's had two spells coaching at the University of Nottingham, as well as a two-year period as editor of Double Coverage, which was the UK's leading gridiron publication. He's also a member of the Nottingham Honey Badgers Hall of Fame and is currently assistant head coach at the University of Nottingham's flag football team. Sean has started a flag football team, runs a under-19 tackle football team, is on the University of Nottingham's team staff that includes two teams, Golden Green. We'll probably talk a little bit more in detail about that in a little bit. And he's also on the staff of Great Britain's national team as film coordinator. Tom and Sean, again, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, excellent. So, you know, just to kind of start us off and give folks here a bit of, because we're going to assume most of our audience isn't super familiar with football in the United Kingdom. So let's talk, how did it develop? Where did it come from? Where did the interest start on the British Isles? So really the interest in the sport picked up in the 80s. So, uh, you know, there were were times uh, in U.S. military bases, sort of since the Second World War, really, U.S. military bases in the U.K., where where tackle football was played but realistically in terms of the game indigenously in the UK that kind of really took off in the 1980s just as a, just a few teams to start off with and certainly in the university league you know I think it started in 1985-86 you know there are only sort of three or four teams playing at that time but in terms of the university game in the UK that's kind of really developed over the last I would say 15 years or so so just to go back to that kind of mid eighties and, and and into the nineties, basically, you know, teams that were quote unquote representing universities were often only really kind of like quite loosely associated with those sort of academic institutions, as it were. And a lot of the time they didn't have any kind of support or funding from the universities at all. Uh, it was even the case where a lot of uh, universities had kind of merged teams. So, um, to use Nottingham as an example, there was there was one team in Nottingham which covered the two universities. So the big catalyst for growth in the in the university game in the UK was um, 2007 2008 when uh, the the game sort of began to fall under the jurisdiction of the the British American Football Association. So I guess the the, the equivalent of if you're a soccer follower, you know the, the FA, the Football Association. Uh, they kind of took control of the uh, of the way the league worked, and then wanted it to become part and receive recognition from uh, Books, which is the British University and uh, College Sports. So essentially, again, an association, I guess, loosely equivalent to the NCAA in the states. So I guess what that meant then was that with that recognition, which they eventually achieved in 2012, a lot of the universities started taking the sport seriously. Um, a lot of the athletic unions that kind of run the sports at the universities began to support American football as we know it over here in the same way they support 
soccer and athletics and all the other mainstream sports and the league has basically doubled in size since that happened. Um, so there's oh. uh, just over 80 teams now. So um, it's kind of plateaued because I think we're kind of at the level now, and Sean may may disagree with me on this, but I think we're probably at a level now where any university or academic institution that's kind of of the size that could support an American football team has probably already got one. So I think we're kind of plateauing it around. Uh, I think it's 82 teams that are, that are competing this season. Wow. So there's over 80 you know, basically university or college football teams. I always, I always hesitate to say college internationally because I know, for example, yeah. in Britain, in the Commonwealth, college is a fuzzy name that could mean high schoolish as well. Yeah, that's but, right. Um, but yeah, there's over 80 teams. I didn't realize there were that many. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a huge amount of growth. And um, I know, as I said, Sean's been involved with the game a similar amount of time as, as I, and I'm sure he'll remember, you know, the years when we first started playing. And it was very, uh, very amateurish in comparison to how it is now, certainly at the top levels. Yeah, Sean, I'd love to hear your impressions on that. Yeah, first, Tom, that's a, a great run through of the history of it. Uh, American football in the UK has kind of had a few different peaks in the 80s, and then it kind of lulled a bit. And if you talk to the old hats in the UK, some of the older coaches, they'll always talk about the glory days of the Budweiser League and when there was money in American football in the UK. And so it, it was a long journey back to where we are now. But as Tom said, you know, there's over 80 teams here in the UK. And then that's just university teams. Mind you, there's also adult teams in the, you know, independent, uh, under 19, under 17, women's flag, et cetera. But specifically referring to university, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's at a growing level right now where the upper tier starts really seeing elite play. And we've now actually seen university players from go directly from university sport into either colleges in the U.S., NCAA or, or other levels, and then also um, even the NFL. So the University of Nottingham had a player, A.O., played for us, uh, came here to do to be a lawyer, and it turned out he was an NFL-level player. So he's now in the practice squad for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I played for us for, I think, a year and some change. Uh, some of the universities have had similar stories as well in the Midlands, uh, Loughborough with uh, Deo as well. Effie Obadell for the Washington Commanders. He came not from a university team, but from an adult team down in London, the London Warriors. And so we're starting to see that upper tier where they can go through that different programs and that sort of thing and see higher success. That's really an interesting point. I mean, it takes time to develop kind of that sort of football machine of you know training and the game of all the other players being to a certain level. You know, you mentioned the 1980s, and I remember, I'm old enough to remember the World League of American Football, you know, with the London Monarchs and the Scottish Claymores, and I think it became NFL Europe towards the end. So was that a, a moment where football in Britain was kind of becoming more popular? I think from uh, from from my observations of it, and uh, I'm, I'm probably dating myself a little bit to say that I don't remember too much of certainly the World League of American Football days. It was more NFL Europe when I was... Uh, when I was uh, sort of starting to to watch the game growing up, and I'm sure anyone who's uh, who's played the sport in the UK before I did may correct me on this, but my impression of the of those times were that uh, a lot of the interest and sponsorship and funding towards American football in the UK was was directed towards those two teams, whereas previously, as Sean mentioned, in the 80s and the kind of the Budweiser leagues, the the the, uh, the funding was 
more evenly split across a number of teams and there was a kind of a level of professionalism in the game in the UK which hasn't really been achieved on a wider scale since then but certainly to, to Sean's point about you know the, the, the top level of, um, of of university sport of university rugby football in particular you know we had the we had the the, the final of the of books last season the national championship game between you know UWE and, and the University of Nottingham and that has been widely acclaimed as you know one of the best games of of American football that's ever been played in this country you know the 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 quality of of athlete on show, the quality of coaching on show, the quality of facilities on show, just really, uh, really kind of put, put the sport in this country in, in the best possible light. And I'd highly recommend anybody who's interested to uh, to search that out on the books, uh, books YouTube channel, the, uh, the National Championship for American Football uh, from earlier this year. Um, it, it was a, a very good game. We're not going to spoil it for, uh, for anyone by telling you who won. From your observations over the years, what has led to that development of that level of high play? Uh, I think that there's a variety of factors. Um, a big part of it is that I think a, a bit of a generational gap. Younger people in the UK uh, are, are more open to kind of these more Americanized things in my experience. I mean, obviously, I'm going to have a bias. I am American. And so I run into people talking about America a lot more than the average person in the UK. I'd probably get asked where I'm from three to five times a week. And so obviously, that skews things a bit. But when I go into schools and I do sessions for American football, like I'll go into what in America we would call middle schools, high schools, uh, that sort of thing. You know, the kids are more interested. It's, it's something new. They've seen it on TV. They're, maybe they've been or seen to an NFL game in London. Uh, and they're, they're more open to it. Uh, as you've seen with, with the advent of streaming and international game pass in the case of the NFL and college football, having different streaming options. You can watch pretty much anyone from anywhere if you have the right tools and you're willing to spend a few dollars or pounds. And so we've seen that interest go up globally. It's pretty normal. I I always ask them who's ever seen American football before. It's always at least half. Um, But every once in a while, there'll be a guy who signs up for a session or they'll come to one of my teams or the university teams or whatever, say, Oh, I, I watch this or I'm a big whatever fan. And it's always kind of fun to see um, which teams they support because obviously none of them are here. So it's, you know, it's, you'll find a Raiders fan and then a Packers fan and a Commanders fan all in the middle of Nottingham, England, you know, <laughs> as you would. <laughs> and so I think that's a, been a big part of the interest. And then I think there's a growing swell of uh, youth teams as well that I would love to see more young people involved in the game. But the efforts that I've seen across the uh, cadet, youth, uh, under-19, uh, and university games has really helped as well. They really get people involved. I would say as well, uh, to feed on from that, that point there, Sean, um, you know, it, it, was, it was certainly when I started playing, it was a rarity for anybody uh, to have played the sport very much before university. You know, the, the amount of teams at that kind of level below university because because it was 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 minimal you know and, and for most people it's still it is still the case that you know on, on university teams most people's first exposure to the sport in terms of playing it they will naturally have you know seen some nfl most of the time but you know their first exposure to playing the game is 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 when they first go to university at the age of 18 19 which you know in terms of 
the skill level that some of these players end up with when they leave university is fairly remarkable that you know you, you start a sport that you've never played before at, at 18 19 and by the time you're you know leaving university at 22 23 you're you're eight you're at a level where you can you know the better ones can be can be competing for for spots in in, in you know in this in the in the uk senior league and, and even beyond you know in the semi-pro leagues in europe so I would say in terms of the development of the university game in particular, the join, joining books or the, the, the move to, to join books, which you know happened in sort of from 2007 onwards, it became an official in, in 2012, from the 2012-13 season, that has massively increased the amount of um, funding that not all teams, um, but a number of teams have been able to receive from their, from their universities and the support they receive from their universities. I know that when I first coached the University of Nottingham back in uh, uh, just before that, like the year before that, um, you know, they had pretty decent support from from the university, but nowhere near the level of access to the high quality facilities they have now. You know, when, when I've coached the team in the last couple of years, you know, they have access to the high performance zone, which is you know the the, the you know they have access to scholarships, you know, which is a whole new whole new level of thing in the uk to, to have scholarships to play you know american football is uh you know when i when i first played 15 years ago the idea that you would uh choose a university based on what kind of football program they offer was was alien whereas now you know the um the, the universities at that top, competing at that top end are able to offer high quality education but also you know great access to sporting facilities and um the opportunity to really you know you can take this game as the, the, that kind of that kind of mantra that you can take this game as far as you want to go with it. That's utterly fascinating. I and uh, it's so funny. I'm taking our conversation kind of a more of a gradual approach, but I really want to dive deep into a lot of what you just said about the the college game. That I had no idea there were scholarships at this point. Before we kind of dive more into sort of the specifics in British college football, uh, one thing that I was curious about: how successful in your mind have these international series games in London been for? spreading interest because i you know even in the united states we always hear about the fabled eventual nfl franchise in london whether it materializes is a whole other point although hearing what you're saying and this development over the last decade or so at the lower levels i mean that's where that's where the interest comes from i mean you know there's many analogies of that but what are your thoughts on how that has affected interest in great britain I think it's helped quite a bit. The interesting thing with the international games is that they sell out almost instantly. Well, we have group chats for all the, you know, as everybody does with all you teams and social clubs and we kind of coordinate, you know, everyone try to get tickets and then whoever gets in first, you just buy them and then we'll, we'll sort out payment, even it out later because they're so popular. And so with that, you see a growing interest in American football. It's a bit of a spectacle because it's it's a non-traditional sport in the UK, but it's at these world-class stadiums, a Tottenham Hotspurs Stadium, Wembley, obviously very historic. So it's not like it's some piddly dink, you know, little hole in the wall. I mean, this is an international spectacle on the biggest networks here in the UK with the different sports, you know, cable network, satellite, whatever streaming services pick it up. And so I think it helps a lot uh, in terms of exposure to the game. I'm not sure that the intention is necessarily to translate people into players as much as it's to translate them into viewers. 
you know, obviously the NFL is interested in reaching a new viewership, but I think that as coaches, we've received almost what I would call the ancillary side benefit of most young people now are at least tangentially aware of the NFL and the international series. And so that really helps when it comes to recruitment because they've seen it before they see highlight reels and then they, some of them say, Hey, I want to get involved. I mean, that's going back to AO who I mentioned earlier when he, he saw, I think running back highlights and then said, oh, I think I could do that. And he was a really high level uh, soccer player or football, depending on where you're from. And I think he saw some highlights and that kind of spurred that interest. And so that's what I would say is it's, I'd imagine the NFL is probably gearing more towards an audience idea, but we get the benefit of so many people seeing these games. You know, going back to just sort of the macro level organization of football in Britain. So you have, you know, the British American Football Association, the British Universities, American Football League, and the British Universities and College Sport Bucks, which we've talked about. How do they interrelate? Is that and because I, I, that was one thing when we started to sort of add elements of British University football on our CFB, it was actually a little bit difficult for us to do some research and figure out how those three relate. I have a good idea now, but can you explain for our audience how that sort of organizes itself? Yeah, we'll try our best. It's, uh, it can get a little bit, a little bit muddy and a little <laughs> bit confusing. So, uh, yeah, so BAFA, the British American Football Association, they essentially oversee all American football played in the UK. They're the national association, you know, and from them they have offshoots, sort of the coaches association, the referees association. So they are the, I guess, the overall arbiter of, of, of American football in the UK. That feeds down to, they work closely with, I believe this is the situation, Sean, you might be able to correct me on this, but they work quite closely with books on how the league uh, is administrated. So they essentially administrate the, uh, the university's league, but books has a lot of input. Um, in terms of how the regional divisions broken down, how the uh, and most importantly, how the kind of structure of uh, overall standings are are, are broken down. Because the thing with the, the whole kind of, I guess the the benefit of being part of of books is that you're you can win books points for your university. So this is essentially a, a scoring system that's held across all sports that are played under the the books banner. So you'll get, um, you know, American football will, will, if you win the national championship, not only do you have the honor of winning the national championship, you also earn X amount of books points for your university. And this is kind of, universities are ranked across all sports. So that's kind of how the, it works on a kind of, uh, as they say, more of a macro type level. You've got the 82 teams, I believe it is, or, or you know, 18 universities with 82 teams. And they sort of split into three tiers, the Premier Division, which is, again, then regionally split north and south, and then the lower tiers. And basically, the aim of the lower tiers is to get yourself promoted. So we have promotion and relegation, very much like there is in soccer, but obviously very different to the way the American college system works or American sports systems generally work. We have promotion and relegation, and the aim is, while it's great to you know win the win that level's national championship, the Division Two national championship, the aim overall is to get yourself promoted all the way up to the Premier Division tier where you can pay for the big points, you play against the biggest and the best teams, you play against the best athletes, and you have that more you have more recruiting power by, by saying you have that exposure of playing at the top level. Yeah, so as you said, 80 teams. So just to get a little bit diving deeper into that structure of how the college teams, all those 80 teams are divided up. So are there conferences within the divisions, and how many divisions are there? So there are tiers, There's the and they are 
especially to someone coming from an American background, somewhat confusingly named because they're not directly co correlated between the number they have and the number they are. The premiership uh, division has, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, it's 10 teams at a time. And so they're the 10 highest ranked university teams in the UK. Every year, uh, the premiership is split into North and South. And then the bottom two teams are relegated to Division One, And then the, the top eight teams stay in the premiership from year to year. And so that's the main top 10, which, um, so for example, like the University of Nottingham was promoted a few years back into the premiership and then has stayed there uh, since then. Then you have Division One, uh, which is confusingly the second division. As I said, these are not always as straightforward as you may think. And so you have Division One is split into more division or more conferences because you have, um, I think they're just called divisions at that level. So you have like the Midlands division, which will have teams in the middle of England. And then you'll have the Northern one and the Southern one. And then Division Two, which again is confusingly the third division, is um, is split similarly geographically. The premiership is a little less geographic because there's so few teams. So, for example, uh, the University of Nottingham plays against Stirling, which is in Scotland. So it's roughly a seven or eight hour drive uh, to get up there, which is a pretty long trip for a three hour contact sport. But the lower you get, I don't want to, the kind of the more regional they end up. So not always necessarily straight, you know, regional, but they get more regional as you get more teams. That makes sense. You know, one of the things that sort of struck me as we were talking about this were the director points. And that's something I think American college fans can understand because there's the Learfield Directors Cup that's awarded to, you know, the athletic program that has the most points across all sports. Of course, the one in the United States is quite, well, I wouldn't say biased, but some schools offer just a boatload of programs and others don't. So for, I think, like 15 years or more, it was Stanford winning year after year after year, not because of the football team, because of every other sport they field. And then I think Texas is now taking the lead, but it's basically like, you know, Stanford, Texas, UCLA, USC, and like a couple other schools constantly in that top. So when you're saying director points, I was also curious, do they increase by, I guess, the tier level? that the team is on does a premier level team earn potentially more director points yeah. than a division. And how does that work? I mean, it's a fascinating concept. I never thought of team moving up in the, you know, up to a higher tier or division and then somehow their wins are more powerful to earning their university, uh, a director's cup. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly on the, the mathematics behind how it breaks down, but certainly yeah, the higher you go, essentially the, the more points uh, your victories and your, your end position is, is worth at the end of the season. Um, yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you made the point about sort of Stanford uh, there and not being the most successful because of the football team. You know, it, it's very it's very similar in the UK in that Loughborough uh, tends to win uh, the, I mean, I, I don't know the exact stats, but I know they've won the uh, the overall books championship across all sports a, a heck of a lot of times in, over, the, over, the last, uh, over the last couple of decades, purely, almost purely because of the quality of their athletics program. You know, they basically attract the, va the vast majority of, uh, of GB level athletes that are looking to <laughs> looking to go to the Olympics. A lot of them, a lot of them will attend uh, will attend Loughborough University for the um, for the quality of the athletics facilities there. 
Um, but in terms of, you know, uh, speaking from my experience at the University of Nottingham, I know that, uh, you know, last year in particular, you know, the universities run a lot of, run a lot of teams very close overall. A lot of other universities very close overall. And the American football program was, uh, was a big difference maker in, uh, in that sense. I've just had a, I've just, in fact, I've just, I've just had a message from uh, one of our, one of our fellow coaches who is uh, a Loughborough, um, he's a Loughborough alumni and he's just said we're undefeated. So it sounds like they've won absolutely every single Bucks championship there is to go overall, <laughs> but uh, they definitely haven't won the American football one for a couple of years. I, I will say on top of that, I, I believe, but uh, please understand, I, I don't deal with the Bucks points. I just try to win them, but I believe that being in the premiership at all is worth more bucks points than even I think winning a lower division uh, or, it's, or it's at least similar levels. I could probably get future stats on that. And if we talk more, I could, you know, I speak with more with uh, the people who run uh, the sports departments at our university in Nottingham, but it's, it's, it is weighted pretty heavily. Uh, and I, you know, to some extent, I could see arguments to both sides because uh, it's harder to work with, you know, within your space to move up, but also being the number, let's say four team in the country or the number two team in the country, there is an argument to be made that it's, it's more successful to be number two overall than be number 12 overall or number 11, even if number 11 won a lower division. Uh, I'll also highlight that, in university space, Bucks points are they're distributed both to team sports and individual sports. And so, for example, the University of Nottingham is really good at uh, table tennis. Uh, they have some of the best table tennis players in the world. I think they actually have uh, I think they have some Olympians on their team. And so, obviously, they earn some points. And so, you'll get to a point where an individual swimmer or an individual p- table tennis player will earn as many points uh, as an entire basketball team or uh, volleyball team, water polo team winning their respective championships. And so you get kind of universities that focus on different things. Obviously they all focus heavily on getting more sport participation and more wins, but like you might see a team sport university and then they can say, Oh, we're, we're number one in team sports. And then as, as Tom mentioned, you know, Loughborough in addition to, I mean, they obviously have team sports as well but they also have really good individual sports. So you might see kind of these upper tier teams, Durham, Nottingham, Loughborough with sport, and they're going to specialize in different areas. That makes sense. You know, speaking of another level of this, and it's something that I know it exists in the USA, but is a little less familiar. How does the national team work? So there are several national teams uh, at different age brackets. Ultimately, uh, so I'm trying to think numbers wise. I mean, there's there's an under 17 flag team or sorry, contact team, rather under 17, under 19. And then there's GB men's and GB women's. Now, the GB women's team, they just won a massive victory um, against Canada. And then they went toe to toe and were in a very close matchup against the United States, which I, I think I can be is bold to say that competing with the United States in a sport called American football is quite the accomplishment, even if the final scoreboard did tilt in the USA's favor. And so, and then the men's team just played in Italy a couple of weeks ago, who I believe are the reigning European champions. And they, they lost by, I, I want to say six to them. I think it was 27, 21, but I the check the final score on that, but it was within a touchdown. 
So the national teams are generally made up of the best players in the United Kingdom that go through a trial process. Right now, the GB men's team is headed up by Jason Scott, uh, who Dom and I know very well because he's also the head coach of the University of Nottingham. And so uh, Jason's staff consists of coaches from throughout the UK, all the way up into Scotland and all the way down south uh, to London and, and below in terms of London and below geographically, not in terms of uh, prestige, of course. Um, and so you have these great coaches from all throughout the country, and then you get recommendations from teams for players that kind of say, hey, this person's a trial, and then there's a big trial, and then as you probably are familiar with most trial processes, it kind of gets whittled down to a smaller roster than a smaller roster, and then there's a kind of a standing GB squad that's larger than a game day squad, and then they pick the final 45 for actual game days closer to specific games. And that's that's the general process of how to get a GB team. That's fascinating. I know you are uh, you're on the staff doing a lot of the film, correct? Yeah, so I filmed for the Great Britain national team. Uh, we have uh, it's we're quite spoiled. Uh, we have pole mounted cameras that I can control from a heated office uh, that's next to the field, and I can simultaneously film like from the end zone and from the sideline um at once and i can control both cameras remotely i can do segments i can intercut the film together uh, so you can watch the same play from multiple angles and while to our american audience you might say oh that's normal i have that at college or i had that at high school i i can assure you that it's really quite the privilege to be able to be involved with those facilities um and to be able to film that at every time i i because i do filming i'm officially on the gb men's staff but because i live eight minutes from the ground where a lot of events are held. I have filmed individual sessions for GB women's GB under 19 GB under 17. And they all go there and they say, Oh man, this film's incredible. I can't believe it. I said, yeah, I get fun toys to play with. You know, I'm a tech journalist for a living. So I'm a sucker for gadgets and gizmos. And so it's really fun to get the film, but more importantly, it really helps them improve the GB men's practices. We normally have, because people are traveling so far, we'll have pro, um, practices throughout the year and you'll bring in, everyone will come in, they'll train for a few hours in the morning filmed, and then over lunch, they'll study the game film and then make adjustments in the second half of the, of the day as well. So just as a quick station ID, you're all listening to RCFB Talk 107. We're talking British college football with Sean Endicott and Tom Snee both of which are involved both at the coaching and commentating level. I'm sure all of you can tell that because this is an intriguing conversation. I'm enjoying every second of it. Now I would like to just kind of dive a little more into the college structure, and we've touched on it quite a bit, but I wanted to put a little more focus on sort of the logistics of fielding a team. And first of all, you touched on this a bit, so how do the teams fit into the university structure now? Because I was under the impression they might be clubs. I know some countries that offer college sports, We'll make it a club level or sometimes it'll be under sort of an overarching athletic department. How is it structured typically in Britain? There's, uh, it, it does vary from, uh, from university to, to university. I know certainly within the University of Nottingham, you know, the, uh, the clubs that fall under the uh, sports that are recognized by books are very much, um, you know, they are, while they are run by a committee that is, uh, is, is, is essentially members of the club. So, you know, the University of Nottingham, for example, are, our president is also our, our free safety, you know, or, or strong safety. Um, so, you know, there's, there's definitely an element of it being 
run at, at, at a certain level by the by the members of the by the members of the team. You know, in terms of bringing in the uh, you know, in terms of requesting funding for equipment or what have you. But there's certainly with um, TC University of Nottingham as an example. You know, there's uh, a very strong, a very large coaching staff there that is uh, is able to lean on its years of kind of experience to help you know, help guide the committee along, help them recognize what they what they need to do in terms of asking for support but you know it does it does vary and you know you will go to you know universities that certainly to 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 use the university of nottingham's green team as an example you know while the the green team is the kind of the, the equivalent of uh, i guess the U, the us equivalent will be a junior varsity team i would say you know it's a, it's a second yeah. team essentially um which plays in the uh in in division 2 so the the third tier um you know they will come up against teams that are not as fortunate in terms of the amount of support that they get from their university. And, you know, they don't necessarily have a, a, a large playing roster or a large coaching staff. Um, so you do get to, certainly with, with with Nottingham, you get to see kind of both sides of the coin in terms of, you know, the, the, the way that the university structure works in the UK. So you touched on this earlier. Are there scholarships at some levels here? Are they sort of academic scholarships, but in a way leaning towards athletes or are these overt athletic scholarships? Oh, they're, no, they, they don't have to do backdoor stuff. They can admit that they're for athletics here. Uh, so yeah, uh, I was like, you know, cause I can't help but think no, of like I, the I Ivy league or the pioneer football league <laughs> where it's like, there's no scholarships, but then you'll talk to a coach and be like, but we do have plenty of academic aid. Um, yeah, no, that's, you're no, like, oh, I mean, got that, it. wink, wink, <laughs> yeah, there, there might, that might occasionally happen, but the people that get recruited to be scholars, that's they're, they're open about what it is. I will point out it's, it's almost never a full scholarship. Uh, it does depend on the university and it does depend on the specific player. Um, and I don't, I obviously won't go into specific individuals on what they did or didn't receive. I don't think that's appropriate, but what I will say is that some players will receive a partial scholarship. And some will receive, you know, more benefits. Uh, I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you if, if that many get full rides uh, for American football. And I would have to double check that. I, I don't know any personally, but I also don't go around asking people their finances too much. What I will say is that the scholarships are a bit more common in other sports, um, as you might predict, when you can win the same amount of bucks points getting a table tennis medal as winning an entire American football season uh, and you only have one scholarship, who are you going to give it to? You're going to find the best table tennis player you can. And that's a good thing. I mean, I think it's great that the universities have these wonderful athletes and whether it be track and field, uh, you know, lifting, uh, rowing, athletics, whatever. Um, But if you were a university and you only had the budget for one, you're probably going to lean a bit towards more someone that can deliver more. And then you can funnel that, into other sports, almost the opposite of what you would see in uh, the U.S., where the American football teams and at some schools, the basketball teams end up trickling down into the other sports. Sometimes you get a situation where individual sports are so successful that the funding and benefits can then trickle into team sports. I would say as well, you know, to, to, to use, uh, I'll keep going back to Nottingham as an example, but it's the one I know, I'm sort of in, know most intimately. It's not necessarily all about scholarships as well. It's about making and sort of creating that high quality environment that players, that even if they they aren't going to come to the university on a scholarship, 
they look at the football program and go, hey, you know what? I, I've played, I've played some youth football, or you know, I've played junior football. I want to be part of that. And the, I think the thing Nottingham in particular benefits from is that you know it's a great university academically as well. So not only are you, you know, not only are you attracting people that that want to play sport at the university, you're also attracting those people that really want to uh, really want to make sure that they're getting the best academics out of their time at university because you know the, the reality of it is there is only a very 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 small percentage of people that attend university in the uk and play america football there's only a very small percentage a minuscule percentage of those that are going to end up making a living out of playing american football so you know the main thing they want to come then when it comes to the university of nottingham and you know they want to become a doctor or they want to become a, a you know a lawyer or they want to get that degree in biosciences you know that's what the, that's what they're here for in the in the uk you know so that is I, you know, something the university of nottingham benefits from um is that high quality of um high quality of education alongside as the, the facilities that sean mentioned earlier i don't want this to turn into an advert for the university of nottingham, but, equal, <laughs> but equally if anyone if if anybody's looking to uh looking to looking to come over drop me a dm if i can piggyback on what tom said uh, one thing that's a bit different in the university space in the UK is undergraduate degrees are often only for three years and, and master's degrees are often uh, for one. And then PhDs can obviously vary and, and be rather lengthy. And so what you'll see at, at a variety of universities is someone who played either in America at, a, at some level or maybe in the UK at a high level, then switch universities for like a one year master's degree or maybe their PhD. And eligibility in the UK is longer. So in the US, you couldn't like, you know, play for Wisconsin for four years and then say, oh, now I want to go get a master's degree at, you know, Fordham, or now I want to go to Harvard or Duke or, or Stanford or whatever. You, you run out of eligibility. In the UK, if you're a student and you are doing enough credit hours, you play till you die if you felt like it. And heck, I've known people who basically did. I've known you go there and they're 30 something years old and they've been playing university ball for eight, nine, 10 years. And that's fine because they're getting an education, right? That's, that's really what they're ultimately there for. And so you will see that a bit more. People will transfer to another university and then get another degree and get to keep playing. Wow. <laughs> that's an interesting way of looking at it, but it makes sense when you think about especially how university sports kind of fit into the ecosystem of higher education in Great Britain. So one thing this leads to is how do you typically recruit players? So oh, I think, I'll, I'll, oh, sorry, go ahead, Tom. Okay, sorry. so um, yeah, I, think I would say using UON as an example, there's a, there's a, there's a well-oiled machine behind it, you know, this is this is not you know the success that UON's had over the last few years hasn't happened by accident you know they've uh, with, there's a there's a high quality coaching staff and I'm not including myself as, as part of that but um, you know there's a great there's a great high quality coaching staff and they've had a strategy over the last few years of making sure that we are appealing to players and it's not just an exclusive thing for the University of Nottingham I know that several universities do this but we're offering kind of almost open days and talent identification days for guys that are. 15 16 years old playing youth football they get the opportunity to come to nottingham you know for a for a, for a weekend and you know practice on our field and, and and have a look at the facilities and just see what it's like to be part of the setup so when they're making their decisions when it comes to what a levels they're doing which is the you know the the um 
the qualifications they need to get into university, they can go, hey, you know what, I'm going to aim high because I really want to get into the University of Nottingham because I'd love to be a lawyer and I'd also love to play football on a 3G field and I get the get great game film. So, that, you know, it's, it's a well-oiled machine in, in Nottingham, but I would say that most universities, uh, certainly in the lower tiers, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they're bringing guys in that are playing the sport for the first time at 18. So I know that, you know, to use my to use myself as an example, when I went to the University of Huddersfield, I was a cricket player and I was and, and I'd done a bit of athletics. So I was desperate to get involved with the cricket team and do a bit of track and field. University of Huddersfield, not well known for its track and field or its cricket. So when I went to um, essentially my orientation, I guess is the way you would describe it in, in US terms of the Freshers' Fair, um, all of the sports and societies were laid out there in the in the uh, the sports hall at Huddersfield. Uh, it's all alphabetically laid out. I walked in. I looked to my left. I saw American football, which was the uh, which was the first sport alphabetically that was available to me. Um, and I thought, hey, you know what? I enjoyed watching. I enjoy watching the NFL. I can run a bit. I can catch a bit. I can just try it out. See if I can play some wide receiver. And that I think it, that sort of origin story is fairly typical for for the, the way that the vast majority of universities in the UK still recruit, you know, say to use Nottingham as an example, it's a, it's a, it's a completely different world to some of those teams that are, you know, in the, in the lower tiers as, as you know, it's, it's a, it's a sort of a condensed version of, I guess what you have in the States, you know, you'll have, you'll have your major college programs that are out there throwing scholarships around left, right and center. They can pick the, the creme de la creme of high school athletes um, and then you get, you know, towards the lower end and you get, you know, lower divisions of your, your the NCAA, you're looking at sort of Div 2 and, and, and JUCO, you know, you are, you're, you're picking up what's left almost. And while that entry level is obviously a lot higher in the States, it's kind of, it's the equivalent to that in the UK. If I could tag on that as well, uh, I think what's so interesting is because of the nature of recruitment in the UK for American football, teams can dramatically shift uh, for better or for worse within a few years. And so, yes, obviously, in terms of experienced players, they're, they're the methods we talked about before. On the higher level tier, the premiership teams, are they're looking for scholars, maybe a couple from America. Uh, I, um, Marcus Mariota's little brother plays in the UK, uh, Matt Mariota. I think he plays for Leeds Beckett. And I don't know if he's a scholar or not. But the point is you can recruit you know, experienced people. And then there's people who played before under 19 programs. Maybe they played University of Nottingham has someone who played in Ireland uh, as well as people that have played at various programs throughout the England and that sort of thing. But the, I would say the meat and potatoes of the vast majority of teams in the UK are people who did exactly what Tom did, which is they walked up to an event. And I went to the University of Maryland before I came over here. And I went to the University of Maryland and they had a booth, but it wasn't for all the sports teams. It was for, you know, all the societies, you know, where the film society, where the, you know, different religious groups would have their groups. You'd have the anime club, the, what you know, juggling society. And it's almost like that, but for sports, maybe like you'd see a little bit at high school. Um, and so that's the meat and potatoes of it. And sometimes you get really lucky. Now I'm going to be, I, I used to play and coach for a different university. Now they're big rivals of where I currently am, but I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell this story. I coached offensive line at Nottingham Trent University. And one year we had five players who were six, three or taller. And four of them were over 300 pounds. Two of them went on to play in Germany. And, and one of them had played for the Ireland national team. And every single one of them 
was there just for like a degree. Like it wasn't like they called these guys up and recruited them. It was just, I happened to have an offensive line that was that big and that talented. I don't want to say by luck. Cause like some of them have heard about the program before, but it was mostly just people who showed up. And then someone was like, you're a big person. Can you shove other people? Come play American football. I coached a guy who was six foot eight, 380 pounds. He was just recruited to be, he was there on like a business degree. <laughs> so that's the meat and potatoes of most recruits in the university scene here. Just you see if you get recruited and you, then you try it out. The classic story that uh, we always used to joke about is that, um, you know, you'd walk around campus with a, with a, with a football in hand and you throw it at someone. If they caught it, you'd go, right, come on, try it out. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it really, it really was that level. I mean, I would say, I think recruiting methods have maybe uh, developed ever so slightly since 2007. But yeah, it is, as Sean said, you know, you, you, your regular guys are just people that walk up and give the sport a go. Now I'm imagining somebody walking around on the hallowed halls of Oxford University, you know, to, you know, Christchurch, Pembroke, you know, Wadham and just chucking a football at random people and seeing if they catch it only to find out they're a professor or something. <laughs> hey, look, if you were walking around campus in my shoes and you saw someone who was like six, five, 300 pounds, you, you best be sure you talk to that person. It's like in high school. Yeah. Everybody knows that high school coach walked oh, yeah. up to a kid and said, Oh, you play football. And the kid goes, no, I don't like football. And he goes, you play football. You play football. You're, you can be a good linebacker. Come on down. Practice at 3 o'clock. That's, that's kind of what we do here sometimes. We had a guy join like last week, and I, I turned to one of my tight ends. I said, you, you recruited that guy. And he goes, yeah. And I said, where the heck did you find this guy? He's like, these aren't people that large. Like, how did he not know about us? Like, And uh, that, that happens quite a bit. Oh, goodness. So where do the coaches tend to come from? I, I would say coaches generally come from the playing ranks. I mean, occasionally you get a coach that's not played before, but most of us are, you know, you, I always tell my players, particularly the under 19 ones who still have so much of a career ahead of them. I say play until your body tells you you can't anymore and your knees don't, you know, work or whatever, and then come coach. For you. And uh, that actually happens quite a bit. So and then when you become a head coach somewhere, you start calling up your friends and you say, Hey, you were always a really good linebacker. Would you like to come coach linebackers? And, the culture in the UK, almost all coaches are volunteer, just across the board. There are very few coaches that get paid, almost none that can do it full time. And so you're, you know, it's like a, you're a community basketball coach. Like when I played, you know, Gaithersburg, Maryland Basketball League for 10-year-olds, and it was just some dude who was coaching. It's kind of like that here, except the dude happens to be someone who played a fully-fledged contact sport. And then you build networks of coaches and you go from there. I think, Tom, you've probably had similar experiences. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, you, you don't necessarily. Uh, the, the thing is, in the in the UK, the level of coaching, I would say, and I'm going to be very careful how I word this, the level of coaching varies greatly um, uh, across the across the divisions. And that applies not just in uh, in uh, university football, but also in, in senior football as well. Um, I've been fairly fortunate in, in, in my career to have been surrounded by some 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 really some really good ones. Um, and um, but you do you do hear the odd horror story here and there. So it's uh, the, the, you know the, the the reality of it is as, as Sean said, it's 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 a volunteer thing. You know, and cl clubs and teams will very rarely turn away turn away volunteers. Um, but uh, yeah, the the level the level of coaching. Is now and it's a, it's, a, it's it's a trickle through of the um, of the quality of play, but the level of coaching and it is 
is you know night and day to what it was when when um when, well, certainly when i when i played um you know which is we're going back getting off 10 years now since i retired um you know the, the quality of coaching across the board is uh is, is so much better and that's just making for a better a much better product of american football as i say you know the the the, the premier league of um of of American football in terms of the um, the near the books Premier League is by far and away as good as it's ever been, and I'm sure some old timers will tap me on the shoulder with their walking stick to say it was better in the 80s, but um, it definitely was not. You know the level of play that we've seen over the last couple of seasons in that Premier League is 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 really is really good, and you know you're getting guys that come over from. You know, from 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 the states that have played, and you know, you, you're getting guys that have played. You know, some guys that have played NCAA Div One football, and they're coming over, and you know, they are saying the standards even better than we expected it to be. So, yeah, it's um, it, it's the the levels are going up all the time, and that is uh, you know, that is across coaches, players, and dare I say it, referees. Although I'll probably get in a bit of trouble for saying that. <laughs> I I would also add that uh, high tides raise all ships, right? And so so I, I'll t- take my University of Nottingham hat off for a second. I'm the head coach of a under-17 flag team and then an under-19 uh, tackle team. The Nottingham Arrows are the flag, Nottingham Caesars for tackle. And obviously with an age group of 16 to 19-year-olds, a lot of them are interested in universities. And so we will um, recommend, I always tell the lads, I say, find a university that fits you first, your degree, the experience, if it's near family, or in some cases, if it's far away from family, if that's what you prefer, uh, and then find the team later. And so I, you know, I end up sending a lot of guys out to other universities. And look, they don't have to listen to me. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm sending out the wrong phrase. I see a lot of our guys go to other universities where you kind of almost say, oh, but also they're good unis here. You know, I happen to be on the university staff here and you're one of the best players in the country. But obviously I encourage them to find a degree that fits their experience. And that ultimately is an investment in the sport, right? When you have good under-17 teams, when you have good under-19 teams, and then they go to universities, and then they play for adult teams, no matter where they end up, it makes American football better in the United Kingdom, which ultimately helps everyone that's here. And we're rivals on the field, and we yell and holler and cheer and have our big matches and all that stuff, but probably more so than what you see in other, other regions and maybe even in some other sports, we're a community. You know, I've definitely coached a game in a heated battle, and then afterward the other team will buy you a pint in the bar. And it's it's definitely a culture of, yes, we compete on the field, but all of us want the entire sport of American football to be better at every single level. And I would say that's also borne out in, um, again, some of the American players that we've had come over, I would say, you know, from the ones that I've dealt with, to a man, they have been brought over not just because they, you know, wanted to extend their, you know, extend their football career or, or get, you know, a great, a great NBA or, or what have you. You know, they have come over here with a view to improving the game globally and doing that, you know, for themselves in in, in the UK. You know, I'll use, you know, uh, Josh Greaves was our, our starting quarterback last year for the University of Nottingham who. Um, you know, he, he he came over. We've been quarterback at, at um, Oxy uh, Oxy College in uh, in California, I believe, in the states. Yeah, it's in LA. 
Yeah, over in LA, so just down just down the road from from where he's from. Um, and you know, he he came over, and the biggest thing I can say about him, despite the fact you know he's a fan, he was a fantastic football player, he's gone over to play professionally in in Denmark and won the the Mermaid Bowl, which is the national championship in Denmark. Um, the one thing I would say about him is, you know, just a fantastic person who was completely committed to elevating the level of football in the UK. Um, and you know, you, you will see players that just practice with him twice a week. Even the guys that are on the green team, you know, that only really were, were almost, you know, just maybe caught one or two passes from him. Just being around him, listening to the way he talked about the game, listening to the way that he broke a defense down. You know, they make it's, it's made such a huge difference, and he's just one player that's making that difference. So, you know, there's there's a, there's a there's a big debate in the UK about the arms race in terms of you know scholarships and getting guys through the door that are going to improve the top teams. But you know, when they've got the when they've got the right mindset in terms of developing the game over here you know they're worth their weight in gold so football requires a lot of equipment how do teams typically obtain them or that does a school fund it uh, that depends somewhat based on the on the team you, you occasionally get sponsors and that sort of thing to help out it's often um done through universities and that's uh that's one of the bigger challenges to be honest with you um whether you're a small team trying to kit up a whole team which is a challenge in itself or your big team, and then you have to find a hundred helmets. It's it's quite the challenge, but I, I would say it's it's a largely connected to the universities themselves, uh, and they invest in it. And then to some extent, there's some sponsorships and some other some other aids in that area. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, from what we see with um, quite a few teams is that there's kind of almost a sort of symbiotic relationship with a uh, a local senior team, for example. So you know, a team that plays in the national league. A lot of universities will naturally, because of geography and the fact that it's the volunteers, a lot of universities will have will have a similar coaching staff to those, those that are uh, the coaching the senior league. So they'll often be the opportunity to kind of do a bit of a kit exchange and you know realize that we're you know we're six helmets down for this weekend. Can we borrow it from the local team? I did spot uh, you know just in in terms of you know, uniforms, for example, I did spot earlier this week. Actually, I can't remember which team it was. Um, that I saw, but I saw they were wearing uh, the the road jersey of um, the, the local local senior team. So they obviously had to, you know, they'd not had a, they'd not had a road jersey that didn't clash with the color of uh, the team that they were playing against. So they've had to borrow borrow kit in that sense. So you know, it is uh, it is a huge you know we don't beat around the bush. It's a huge expense, and we do kind of encourage players that if they decide, you know, if they played the game for a year, uh, you know, they come into the, they come into their their freshman year. At, at the university they played the game for a year they decide they want to continue playing we do kind of actively encourage those guys to hey you know when your student loan drops maybe don't spend so much on a you know flat screen tv for your halls or you know pints at the pub maybe get yourself a a really good helmet that's going to protect your brain so um yeah there's uh there's there's an element of you know asking for a little bit of personal responsibility from the players but yeah generally you know most teams do their very best by begging, borrowing, and stealing to make sure that they can kit up the players they need on game day. You know, it is a contact sport, so how do you guys handle the inevitable injuries? I actually think that this is a strength in the UK game. I don't want to get into any political discussions. This isn't the forum for that, but the bottom line is that there is nationalized health services in the UK, and so 
the if you get injured, you you might have to wait a bit. Uh, but you know, I tore my knee up playing American football here. I was adults, not university, but I tore two ligaments, my meniscus, just and dislocated my knee, and I had a bone chip floating around in there at some point that the doctors didn't let me keep, mind you. I wanted to keep the bone chip. They wouldn't let me. Um, but the point is I had surgery here and it was taken care of it. And so you can you can get personal liability or personal insurance as well. That's a, that's a thing that you can get on top of it. And the league is insured. I mean, obviously, if there was an actual issue that the league does require all players to be registered, all coaches have to be registered. There's required trainings. There's required uh, certifications. And that, But that's in terms of post-game injuries. In terms of on-the-day injuries, uh, every single game has to have certified medic staff. Uh, University of Nottingham uh, is pretty blessed with that. Um, for anyone who's in the UK, we have we have a lot of um, medical history. The guy who invented the MRI machine used to be a professor here. There's a hospital that's uh, connected to the university. And, and then there's a lot of sports science courses, medic courses, doc, that sort of thing. So every game we have great medics, uh, often multiple. And then every, te every team has that. We, we just had a game uh, yesterday. And there were multiple medics there as well. So it's um, that's what's on the game day. And, and that includes everything from uh, concussion protocols to seeing if somebody's hurt the shoulder, if they broke their foot or, or whatever. And I would say just to add on top of that, because I know this is a hot, hot topic. Um, and we could circle back on this another day. Like we did baseline concussion testing in the, at the University of Nottingham, where every single player that plays on the field had to go through concussion baseline so that we can compare to them throughout the year and that's something that we try to focus on so i actually think out of all the areas that the uk can be really you struggle i i would actually argue that the medical side of it's probably probably one of the better ones maybe tommy you've had a different experience but at least for me it's been quite the strength no, no i completely i completely agree um and you know as as i you know i i stopped playing at the age of 26 i ended up with you know concussions racking you know, ended up with three in uh, three in a season that ended it for me but again even then you know that is uh to have been able to you know be pulled aside by a, medic a medical professional on the on you know on the day to say hey you know this is uh you're, you're in a bit of trouble here mate get yourself get yourself to hospital so um you know it's 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 some again another area where the game has come on leaps and bounds um, but yeah, I, I think you, you, I think you actually hit the nail on the head there, Sean. In terms of you know, it's one area where as as a as a, as a Brit ball community, as we call ourselves, you know, the British Union, Ameri the British American football community, most of the time we can look at ourselves in terms of medical provision and say, you know what, this is somewhere we can, this is something we can be really proud of. I know we've gone for an hour, but I'd love to keep going a little bit longer if you two have a little bit of time because there's a bit of subject matter I'd like to cover as well, just in terms of where we are now in the state of the sport. Well, I'll offer you two things. Well, one, Tom, you can stay as long as you want to. Your lips fall off. I have about 15 minutes at most, and I'm happy to stay on for that and talk to you about anything that we can fit in. And then uh, we'd love to come back as well. If you, if you have a specific topic, I, I, I'm sure Tom would love to come back. And we have, if you wanted to speak I think we could fit this into 15. I think we can fit yeah. this in. And then, yes, absolutely, yeah, we'd love to have you. Yeah, and, and we, we discussed this offline, but, you know, sports, former sports scholars, different players and stuff, well, we can get you in touch with all them as well. So, but yeah, I got some time. Tom, do you have a few minutes? Yeah, let's do 15 yeah. more. So, yeah, what are the current challenges that are really facing teams nowadays in Bucks? Uh, I would say it's no, it's numbers. To, um, it's, it's really just recruitment. It's it's hard to find people to play a non-traditional sport that they've never heard of before, or even if, well, 
you're either finding people who haven't heard of it and telling about it, or you're finding people that have seen it, but they haven't played it most of the time. And so a lot of teams struggle. Uh, I would say numbers and funding are probably the biggest challenges. Lower on the totem pole would be finding um, coaches. Uh, obviously, there's only so many coaches that can go around. Um, but it's mostly a numbers game. I actually think the passion for it is here, uh, and there is an avenue to succeed. But it's it's mostly a numbers thing. Uh, Tom, would you have, agree or have any additions to that? Yeah, I think you've yeah, summed, think you've summed, summed up, up probably succinctly there, Sean. Um, I think the, the main... The, the main issue, certainly uh, lower down the divisions in, 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 in the university game, is, is, is purely numbers. And often it's numbers of big guys, you know, having a offensive line that can, uh, that can, that can withstand a full season. You know, we've, we've not got, you know, at university level rosters for the vast majority of teams, I would say in terms of registered players, stand up between 40 and 50 in terms of how many players they have kitted on a game day. So, you know, in, I would use you know, division two games as an example. We, we played against the, uh, we played against Anglia Ruskin university, the game, which, uh, the, which you guys very, very kindly shared the commentary for, um, shared the live stream for, and you know, the, the guys on their sideline, they were numbering kind of, I think it was, I think we counted 28, you know, players on the sideline, um, which is not a huge, number once you get you know if you start in the season with 28 you know you're inevitably going to get a few guys get a few knocks you're going to get a few players maybe drop off because they're not getting as much game time as they would like although you'd say with 28 players maybe they're all getting as much game time as they, as they can so yeah it's a it's a huge challenge and you know that will be the area in which teams will continue to struggle i would say that you know What's well, something that's exacerbated that has been the pandemic. So um, basically, when that hit, teams lost a season and a half of you know. When once you've got people getting through the door, and you get them, you get them, but you get them bitten by the bug of American football, um, and you get them there, and you go right, okay, we've got you in. You've got your first season. You start to play. You've had a great few games. You know, you're really getting into the sport, and then you lose the rest of one season and then the whole of the next one, pretty much you're bound to get a big drop off of players. So those teams that maybe already had a smaller roster, um, you know, and I see, I've seen it myself with, you know, the university of Huddersfield, which, you know, which I attended, you know, they have had to, um, they've had to forfeit this season and, you know, step away from the league this season purely because they've got to, um, you know, they've got to a stage preseason where they've looked around and gone, you know what, there's, there's not enough players here for this to be, sustainable for us to play an entire season so it's uh it's the, the numbers is the biggest challenge i would agree with sean and that 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 does also you know that, that bleeds into coaching as well you know the numbers of coaches that are available is uh is bound to be limited so yeah there are there are challenges in the game and there is this i would say there is this 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 gap between the the haves and the have-nots you know and it is going to only continue to widen um, if we, if 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 those if those teams lower down the chain uh, are, are, struggling, are still struggling to recruit over the next couple of years, that makes sense. You know, it's interesting because even before the pandemic, at the D three level in the United States, you'd occasionally get teams that would run into that where they just lost too many players, and then halfway through the season, I remember Grinnell and we were talking briefly about Oxy. They both had to forfeit the rest of their seasons. Oxy just ended up dropping football altogether, which was sort of a a sad thing because they had a nice tradition there. But 
where on the positive side of that, because that was with the current challenges, what can be done to continue to develop and grow university football in Britain? I would say just get, get more people involved at a younger age. Uh, I've seen such tremendous excitement for the game at, at younger levels. And it's so exciting to see the under-19 game grow. Uh, we, my, my under-19 team was um, – we had a really good season last year. Uh, we're number five in the U.K. And then I had friends that were on pretty much all the playoff teams. I, I knew them. and Like the national final there was at a really good level. Um, and so like the London uh, Blitz, they're traditionally – They've always been the best, or not always, but since I've been around, they've been the best in their 19th program. Um, and then, you know, Tamworth and some others are up at Gateshead in that top tier as well. And you see that level, and then that that goes upwards. So I, I, there's definitely a push in the UK to get more people involved in schools, more people involved at a younger level. And then uh, university, I think it's just canvassing. You know, it's, it's a great experience. Joining an American football team at university changed my life and for the better. And it, you know, when I was at my wedding, my wife stood behind an offensive line to throw a bouquet. And um, I told the offensive line that we better not have any leftovers. And all the people from my team wore team colors for ties. And you get these best men or friends or whatever, your lifelong friends from this. And you get this bond. And we just want to tell people that, this is something you can be a part of and we want to get more people involved in the sport. And I think the more people see this is a, a fun opportunity. It's not, yeah, it's hard work. It is hard work. I've worked harder at American football than particularly if you consider my physical rehab from knee surgery, maybe than anything else in my life, but it's all been fun. I'm looking right now at a poster of me celebrating my, my last university game. Um, ironically, against the team I now coach. And uh, I'm just there with two fists, you know, celebrating because we, we won. And um, that's why I would say to people is if you want to fix this sport, you got to show what it is, which is just great. It's just wonderful. And that's going to get more people involved than anything else you could do. I think you, you've, hit, you've hit that on the head there, Sean, in terms of um, getting people involved in the game at a young age. You are naturally, by doing that, if you increase the pool of people that are aware of the game or have played the game, at, you know, from the age of what, from a primary school age upwards, really, um, you're naturally increasing the amount of people that head to university with a knowledge of the game already and you understand the game already. And if their university hasn't got a football program, they're like, well, let's make one. Or, you know, if, uh, if it, or they will look at a university and, you know, they'll, they'll be there making their decisions as they look at their A-level results um, and they may well choose a university over another because they have seen that they've got a good football program or they think, well, you know what? These two, these two schools are excellent academically and balanced on which one I go to, but I'd rather play football for this team than I would for another team. So it's, that, it's that, just that awareness of the sport from a younger age. And, you know, as we talked about the NFL games earlier, and as you're right, Sean, in terms of they do, you know, from NFL's perspective, they are very much just about let's get more, more eyeballs on our product. But in terms of, you know, I, I use my son as an example. You know, he's, he's, he's nine now and he somehow has become a Patriots fan. I'm not sure what mistakes I've made in my life to, to, for that to happen. Um, but, you know, he has, he's become aware of the sport just through seeing it more on television than he has from knowing that his dad played it. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's just that case of getting 
young people into the sport as early as possible. And then you get that trickle through throughout the entire system, whether that's university level or senior team level. As we kind of wrap up, where are the best places for people to watch UK football and, and I guess follow the sport on the web or Twitter? Oh, that's probably a, probably the most complicated question you've asked today. <laughs> um, to be honest, there really isn't some sort of unified network of it. Uh, and most games aren't streamed live. That's not as common. Uh, I believe, and I, I cannot verify this, but at the time I did it, I believe I was actually the first person to ever run a live stream for an American football game from a cell phone, from a mobile phone. <laughs> I remember Facebook living a game years ago and people said, we've never, this is a revelation. I, oh, and that was when like Facebook live was pretty new. And, um, and so there isn't necessarily a unified thing. What, what I would say to two part answer is um, I do run the streams for the university of Nottingham games. And so we put that out there um, and all, but I think one of the games is going to be streamed this year. And I, I'm the reason it's not is because I'm not there. I'm in America. Uh, visiting my family. Um, I would say, though, if you want to find American football games to watch, you go on social media and find a group some, um, for American football in the UK. Uh, there's a bunch of different Facebook groups. Uh, you know, I don't want to list one and offend people, but they're, you know, Brit, Brit Ball in America. Put that in a search for Facebook and you'll probably find a few different groups. And they, whenever streams go up, they get posted pretty quickly. Tom, do you have any tips for finding those? I mean, I it's kind of find, hard to find games. So it's if you have any tips, please please tell me. Well, I'll, I'll talk from my experience as uh, formerly editor of, of Double Coverage, which used to be the site that was the kind of the go-to for uh, American football news in the UK, something about British American football. Um, we used to collate all the results, all the live streams. There's not, you know, there's not a hell of a lot of that these days, which is probably an area where we fall down a little bit as a sport in the UK. We're terrible at promoting ourselves and terrible about shouting about how, how well we do. But yeah, I'd, I'd strongly recommend, um, I strongly recommend, you know, supporting it sort of follow, follow, following, following Sean and myself on, on Twitter. Cause if there's a, if there's ever a, if there's ever a university of Nottingham game that's going on stream, we'll be, we'll sure be tweeting about it. So, um, yeah, that's our, that's our plug for the university of Nottingham stream. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you, guys. This was a really interesting conversation about British college football and you know all levels of it, its history and the challenges that the f teams face, but also kind of the joy. You both are clearly enthusiastic about it, and it's exciting to hear more about what goes on over there. We really appreciate you all taking some time with us. I appreciate being here. Yeah, we look forward to you know, coming back at some point, particularly um, as the playoffs approach. I think that'd be a fun time to kind of circle back and talk about who's in the playoffs at that higher level. And as you get further on, I, I will say I, I have done some streaming for like on-site productions, which is a, they're both a company that does their own streams, but also um, they're, they're often hired to do streams for like Beth or bucks uh, or that sort of thing. And so as you get to the playoffs, a few more of the games actually are streamed in some fashion. So if you, if your followers want to watch more American football, I would say you get to February, March time. That's that's the perfect time to tune in. You, you, the draft isn't there yet, and you, the playoffs and the Super Bowl are over, and whatever they're replacing the Pro Bowl with is in the rearview mirror. So come on over and watch some some Brit ball.
Absolutely. And we will share that and definitely let us know. And I think it'll be a fun time to have you guys back to talk about it as we head towards that. I do remember that because the season, the British season only started recently, relatively. And now they end. And as you said, after all, the pro football here and the college football here is finished. Well, Tom, uh, you wanted to add something. To be honest, I accidentally tapped, putting my mic on, but no, thank you very much uh, for the oh. invite. We've, we've really, uh, we've really enjoyed. Uh, I'll say that speak for myself, but I know Sean's, Sean's of the same of the same opinion. Really enjoyed speaking. You know, we you get us in a room, we can talk about British American football for hours. So um, yeah, we've, we've done well to keep that to an hour and a quarter. But yeah, we very much like to be back uh, whenever whenever you'd like us. Definitely, we'll plan on that. Well, that's all we have for today. On behalf of myself, Bob Akhairi, this was RCFB Talk 107. We were talking British college football with Sean Endicott and Tom Snee. We appreciate all of you who stuck around and listened. And I just wanted to say thanks to all of you. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.